Hey, what's up, guys? This is Ricky D. And today we have episode number 22 of the Elite Fitness Podcast. And this is part one of a two-part interview with Mr. Rick Collins. Rick Collins is the United States' foremost legal authority on performance-enhancing drugs and supplements. Rick is the official legal advisor of the International Federation of Bodybuilding, the IFBB. He is also an author with his book called Legal Muscle, Anabolics in America, which we will discuss a little bit in this podcast. And look, guys, everybody from bodybuilders, Olympic and professional athletes, sports coaches, trainers, criminal lawyers, physicians, pharmacists, military servicemen, even the police from across America have paid for the opportunity to access Rick's knowledge and get his help in handling a whole variety of drug cases and with connections to fitness and bodybuilding. He is admitted into practice in New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Texas, and in the District of Columbia as well. I'm reading my notes here, guys. Uh, Rick's also a nationally certified strength and condition specialist. So he is the authority on everything to do with legalities around bodybuilding drugs, supplements, and we're going to talk a lot of that on this podcast. So just hang on. This is part one of a two- part episode uh, that I know you're sure to enjoy. And without further ado, here's Mr. Rick Collins. So I think everybody's really wanting to know what's going to happen with these, with these SARMs, with these not for human consumption research items, and even some SARMs being sold in capsules now. What's going to be the future on that and how, how long that's going to keep going on for? What What's going to happen? Because if they get scheduled, these these pharmaceutical companies haven't made their money on them. Um, I mean, what, what do you think? What is your opinion? On so, to, so well, first of all, thanks for having me, Rick, on on the podcast. I, I appreciate it. I've been doing uh, doing this stuff for a long time. You bring up research chemicals and and sort of these these things that are sold not for human consumption over the internet. And I've probably handled more of these cases where the government has gone after people or companies that do it then then as far as i know any other lawyer so and this goes back so what the future is what we'll look at what the past is right so it's been about 20 years that this market has existed not for sarms it, it started out with other types of ancillaries for bodybuilders that were being sold for research purposes. And SARMs are just kind of the latest chemicals that are being sold for that purpose. Um, but the government doesn't like it, right? Big, big Pharma doesn't like it. And the government and, and Department of Justice don't like it. And the FDA doesn't like it. And so they have gone they're, after they're head shops too. They're head shops too that sell not, you know, for research only items that are for people to get high or have uh lucid dreams and crap like that that's exactly uh, that's also yeah yeah exactly if you remember a while back you remember tommy chong cheech and chong yes yes i remember them yeah those uh comedians they you know the, the whole bit was just they were weed heads and they were just getting high all the time and they made a bunch of movies about smoking marijuana and having a good time and uh after they made those movies and that was really what both of them, Cheech Marin and, and Tommy Chong, were known for. So Tommy Chong decided to start selling bombs, right, over the yep, internet. Pyrex. Yep. So, 
So he set up this website to sell bombs. And he said on the website not to be used for smoking weed. And so he, even though the, he was selling bongs and he had pictures of him, you know, looking high and his entire reputation was based on smoking weed, he would say not for not for smoking weed. And the government went after him under the idea that this was fraud and that he was, in fact, selling paraphernalia for the purposes of smoking weed, even though he said he wasn't. And so just saying something is for one thing and not another is not necessarily the end of the story if there are circumstances or facts that suggest that it's just bull, right? So him saying not for use with marijuana when there was really no other legitimate reason you could even come up with for why people would be going to Chong's bongs and buying bongs. Um, he was prosecuted and he was, in fact, convicted um, of trafficking and drug paraphernalia. So so that sort of, you know, calling one calling something one thing and it actually being uh, shown to be something else under the circumstances is the same theory that the government uses to go after people selling SARMs, peptides, um, erectile dysfunction drugs, uh, anti-estrogens, anything that um, typically people in the fitness or bodybuilding community are using sort of as, as adjunctive kind of things to steroids, any of that, if you're selling it not for human consumption, but the circumstances show, well, it's obviously for human consumption, that's a problem. And that's something the government goes after. Now, do you think that at least we already know research, Novadex and Clomid, some of this stuff is, is probably not going to become um, highly like race and scheduling. Do you think that that's going to happen with SARMs? Will they be scheduled the same as uh, steroids? Will, you know, uh, Car GW Carterine and Osterin and some of these products be categorized same under the law as testosterone and Dianabol at some point? Or what do you think? So, so first, we could have a long discussion someday about how it is that testosterone wound up in the Controlled Substances Act in the same law with heroin and cocaine and marijuana and oxycodone. You know, how did testosterone get there? Um, and it happened in, in 1990 that, that Congress put it in there. And we could talk about the hearings that preceded it and why uh, Congress uh, appears to have taken that action and whether, in fact, it was the right thing to do. You know, not many people realize that in those hearings before testosterone became an anabolic steroid, the DEA, the FDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, the American Medical Association all sent representatives to Congress to testify against against scheduling testosterone and other anabolic steroids as controlled substances. No, no, few people seem to remember that from 30 years ago, including folks in the DEA and the FDA. But, yep. but that was their position at the time. And we could definitely 
talk about whether that was you know, the right thing to do because Congress obviously disregarded all of their testimony and instead listened to some folks who were in organized sport who were complaining about cheating in sports. So, so that happened in 1990. And, you know, when Congress is presented with what they think is a, a potential sports cheating scandal, um, they, this is sort of their go-to, right? They take it and they make it a controlled substance. So there have been some highly publicized cases of elite level athletes testing positive for Osterine and other SARMs. And obviously anti-doping authorities are upset about that and are looking to try to keep these substances out of drug tested sports. And so similar to what happened in the ramp up to the 1990 Anabolic Steroid Control Act, some folks in Congress started looking at whether we should make SARMs into schedule three drugs, just like steroids, under the theory that they have sim similar or somewhat uh, analogous uh, anabolic properties, and that athletes are abusing them and, and using them to, to build muscle or enhance performance in a way that um, organized sports people and anti-doping people think is unfair. And so I think it was probably four years ago, maybe um, three or four years ago, uh, two senators, uh, Orrin Hatch and Sheldon Whitehouse, introduced a bill that would make SARMs into the same level uh, schedule three drugs similar to, to testosterone and anabolic steroids, which would effectively make it illegal to sell SARMs um, unless it was pursuant to a prescription. And of course, a lot of these things are not approved as FDA drugs, um, but it would also make it illegal to possess them. Uh, and that's different from today, Rick, because right now, those the, kind of the, the laws that we talked about before of like sort of fraud and and, you know, selling something as a research chemical when it's obviously not for research, it's for people to use, whether it's to get high or to, to get jacked, it's for people to use. Um, that's that you can go after the seller, the marketer. And I've represented a lot of people who market peptides and SARMs who call me up and say, the government is, it has just conducted a search warrant. They've just you know, they've, they've just uh, called me and let me know that they're investigating me or they've just questioned me uh, for selling, for marketing, for introducing those substances into interstate commerce, which is what makes it a, a federal crime. But if this law were to pass, this, this SARMS Control Act were to pass, then somebody who bought SARMS, somebody who's possessing um, a bottle of Osterine uh, in their car or their house, um, if that were to be recovered by law enforcement, that would be a, a, a crime under federal law and could be prosecuted. And that guy could, could get you know, a conviction and potentially jail time just for possessing a song. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I... I always thought that one of the reasons uh, steroids uh, kind of sort of it was easy for them to to be classified, become illegal in 1990, 
Uh, I think the big sports scandal was Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis. Ben Johnson beating Carl Lewis, testing positive for Winstrow at the time of the Olympics. And I think most of those drugs were already past their uh, patent uh, protection time. And right. so the pharmaceutical companies couldn't, couldn't quite protect them. And they wanted to also launch new drugs to, to take their place in, in some of these diseases that were being prescribed for. And I think, because um, it makes it a lot harder, it makes it a lot different for a doctor to prescribe something once it's in that category than when it's in the same level as a, you know, as an anti-estrogen, Dolvidex or something dumb like that. And, um, but, the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies haven't quite made their money on this arm shit. Maybe, I, maybe I got my tinfoil hat on a little bit, but I think uh, I've always thought, I've always, yeah, I've always thought that uh, just because, you know, just make, because making them, just because make, you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you as the old saying says, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some, I've seen so many weird things happen. Uh, like knack, knack becoming now, uh, you can't have it in your supplements anymore. I have a supplement that I have knack. I had to the new version. Can't, can't, can't have it anymore. Some of these, some, when I see some of these things, I think like there's more at work. Um, now, uh, SARMs are not illegal yet. Have you seen anyone do jail time over, over SARMs or peptides or research? I, I have, I have, I have seen people do jail time over SARMs and peptides, not, not huge amounts of jail. And the, the facts are always, um, dependent on, you know, individual circumstances in a case. And, and the ultimate result has a lot of factors that go into it. Um, I have seen, and I'd never, you know, breach an attorney client privilege. So, so this is just, you know, knowledge you could, you could get from, you know, just looking at the public dockets and whatnot. Um, and, and my clients typically don't go to jail and I, I fight like, like crazy to avoid that happening. But there have been cases where in other situations and, and with other lawyers and, and even with facts that are unpleasant. So, so obviously whether somebody gets jail time or not depends on a lot of factors. It depends how much, how much money they made in a fraud case, how much uh, drugs they moved in a drug case, whether they have priors. So if somebody's already done five years, let's say, for trafficking in drugs and now gets involved in, you know, selling peptides or SARMs under circumstances where it's clear that they could be proven that these things were not for uh, research purposes, that they were for human consumption and that the guy selling them absolutely positively knew it and that was in his intent, um, then, then there can be jail time on those cases. It's not, it's not the same amount of jail time as would go into a heroin or a cocaine case or something like that. But um, prior criminal history plays a big factor and what the facts are, what, how much evidence there is that calling it research chemicals and and saying you know having a disclaimer that the person the buyer needs to click on saying I'm a researcher I'm not going to use this um, how clear and obvious it is that that's just BS. Have you seen uh, in any cases uh, people be affected? Like I have a podcast we talk about anabolics. I've had people on who talk about. Uh, the the steroids and stuff like that. Has anyone been uh, uh, in trouble for, for for just having the First Amendment right to talk about these compounds and even advise people on on how to use them? Uh, a lot of very popular YouTubers 
that have some of the right. millions of followers, millions of views that are right. just talking about how to use stuff, how to they, they, everybody, they pull up more plates, more dates, Tony Hughes. I mean, all these guys are on social discussing in pretty close detail uh, the usage of these things, answering questions from people. Um, right. what, have you seen anyone be affected by it? So the First Amendment gives a lot of protection. Um, people are allowed to talk about things um, and that's not criminal. And it's very hard for the government to prosecute uh, people for simply saying things um, unless there's something a little bit more involved than that. So if you look at it on a spectrum, on the one end, it's, you know, somebody, let's say, just saying, here's the sort of stack that I've used in the past. And that's just FYI for information. There's no way the government could prosecute somebody for telling the truth about what they've used in the past. Uh, at the other end of the extreme is somebody who's either selling steroids themselves or saying, here's what I've used and here's how you can get it. And having a link to um, somebody, an underground lab or something like that, or directing people uh, to it. Obviously, if you're facilitating the possession or purchase or sale of controlled substances, well, then then it's a whole different thing, right? Then then you're in in the potential criminal harms way. Um, so a lot of the conduct is somewhere in between, right? And there's a spectrum uh, where you know it's it's not it's more than just here's what I've used in the past and I don't necessarily condone it, but this is just FYI what I've done to the other extreme. And you know where the line lies between those two, where the scale tips from protected speech into potential criminal conduct, either conspiratorial conduct where arguably you're facilitating or aiding or, or agreeing with the seller to sell it is really very fact dependent, you know? So, you know, a lot of people sort of operate in that gray area, uh, hoping that they're on one side of that equation that they don't tip over and recognizing that these are sort of tougher cases to prove for the government than simply going after the underground lab guy himself, right? Somebody who's, who's much easier, low-hanging fruit. And so with limited resources and limited manpower or, or staffing, um, the government typically goes after the easier cases. And so people play the odds that um, even if they go over the line, chances are the government won't go after them. And if they do go after them, well, then they'll call Rick Collins and he'll be able to, you know, work his magic on it. So, so that becomes, I think, the thinking for a lot of people. You've been uh, defending these kind of cases now for going on, what, about 25 years now? My, my Pretty mistaken. close, man. That's scary. It's scary, you know. It's been a long I'm only, time. I'm only yeah. 35 years old. How could that be? <laughs> so because i remember your book legal muscle uh your book legal muscle came out around 2002 2003 2002 yep yep and, and i'd worked on that now, for I, a couple I, of years yeah so i've been doing I, it for has a while there been before a, that 
I remember I, you know, we, we worked with your affiliate program for, for, for that book back at, back in the day. Now, uh, have you, do you have an updated version of, of uh, legal muscle out there yet? So I don't know if people read books the way they used to, you know, um, audio books, man, you gotta, you gotta have yeah, Amazon yeah. and audible. And yeah. Maybe that, good maybe audible that book. would make sense. Maybe that would. I mean, obviously, since 2002, a lot has changed. Right. I mean, the the laws have changed. You know that the 1990 steroid law was in place then Uh, that was changed in 2004. And then in 2014, uh, you had the, the designer anabolic steroid control act that now exists. The U.S. Uh, federal sentencing guidelines have changed dramatically back then uh, to be a lot tougher on um, the same quantities of steroids um, that you that the same amount that would have been possessed or trafficked in you know prior to uh, 2006 when the guidelines changed was completely revised and and much more harshly treated after that. So. And, and the literature has evolved too, you know, and, and the market has evolved. If you look and, and you know this back in the, in the eighties and, you know, early nineties be, before the control act really started having its effect, the steroid products were typically diverted uh, U S FDA approved pharmaceuticals, right. Get back yes, towards yes. Right, out of friendly yeah, guys would guys would argue which between be, guys would argue between which was better, human grade or, or vet grade. If you if you the lower level stuff, you would just get veterinarian grade from Mexico. It was still you know ran by an approved lab, but right. that was the argument back in the day. Now everything is, is underground. Yeah, right. So you know, so what what's happened is well, for a while it's it sort of you were getting finished products coming in from overseas, and then as the uh, imports started getting you know more and more of a crackdown on them then finally now what you just have is raw powders from china coming in and and you know underground lab chemists making esterifying it in their in their homes and slapping a label and and selling it as an underground lab product so the market has changed a lot back in the you know before i wrote the book you were starting to see um some clinics trt type prescribing going on but now you've got even clinics that are franchised uh focusing on men's health and wellness and using testosterone and and other even sometimes other types of peptides to um to treat people uh, in in a in aging men to make them feel better so the market's changed a lot at some point yeah i i could see another book or or some sort of audiobook or something along those lines but um but i kind of been covering it in my magazine column i do a column for muscular development magazine uh, and i've been doing that since just about when i wrote the book actually before i wrote the book so if if people want to see like what's the latest thing going on um muscular development either the print copy or musculardevelopment.com uh, has a lot of my archived um, columns on it. And I've covered everything from the SARMS Control Act to FDA-related changes, dietary supplement issues, just general health and wellness policies and kind of what bodybuilders and people in the fitness community should know about what's going on with laws 
policies and, and even like cultural and, and social developments. So, so that's one way of finding out. And I'm, I'm also active. I do a lot of these podcasts and I'm active on social media. Anybody who wants to follow me can follow me on Instagram at Rick Collins ESQ. Um, you can follow me on, on Facebook at, at Rick Collins online. And, um, and so those, and, and I'm on Twitter too, at Rick Collins ESQ. So I try to, which keep is your stronger, which is your strongest outlet. You know, everybody's got social has a, a really strong outlet. Where would you say your strongest at IG or I'm, Twitter or Facebook? Yeah. You know what? Uh, I'm finding that Instagram is, is a good way. I, I get more people, more eyes on stuff, uh, through Instagram, even though it's, um, it's more visual based and, and less content based. And I'll put in my bio, I'll put links. If you go to my Instagram account and you go to the bio and, and the link tree there, you'll see a whole bunch of links to podcasts, to articles. I just wrote an article, actually. Um, I co-authored a piece and, I, and I've written a number of peer-reviewed journal pieces. And I just wrote a piece that is, is something that's fascinated me for a long time. And it's the, the difference between the way uh, we treat gender dysphoria and, and you know, muscle dysmorphia. Um, and, and, you know, muscle dysmorphia is like bigorexia, right? The, the guy who on a, on yeah. a mental, yeah, yeah, mental illness absolutely. standpoint, right? I mean, and that, look, th there are bodybuilders who have that, right? I mean, that no matter how big you get, you still look yeah, in the mirror yeah. and you think you weigh 110 pounds soaking wet with change in your pockets. Right. And at some point that's, that's a indicative of a, a mental disorder. Right. I mean, it, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I still have to get bigger. I need more size on my chest or arms, but it's another thing when it reaches a level where it's actually a disorder. And Gender dysphoria is uh, also categorized as a mental disorder, and it's the the idea that uh, somebody who has one gender who, that they were born in um, it feels that that's the wrong gender, and they're imprisoned in a body that is not doesn't match their self perception of who they are. And obviously, if you're a female at birth and you self identify as male then the law allows you to be prescribed testosterone in order to change your body to match your self-perception, right? Because you're treating that disorder. Um, with bigorexia, uh, if you go to the doctor and you say, I'm 140 pounds, but I self-identify as 240, and I would like testosterone to try to match my self-perception to the, what I see in the mirror, that doctor is going to throw you out of his office and you're, you're going to be sent to a shrink to try to make you accept the way you look. And, you know, That's the article is, is, is provocative because, and I'm not saying that in, in any way that the trans uh, or non-binary people should be denied testosterone. I think, you know, you should be happy in your body. And if there's a scientific approach to allow it, great. I'm fully supportive of that. And, and we're not even saying that people who want to get bigger should be prescribed testosterone. What we are saying is that the gap between those two treatments, that one is, you know, is, is looked at favorably and almost celebrated in modern society. 
and the other sends the doctor to prison and sends the and, and makes it a crime for a person to possess it for those reasons. Yeah, that's a pretty far gulf. And I'm not sure anybody's really looked at how wide that distance between those two approaches is. You know, it's 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 sad, but even just having this conversation and some mediums would get us canceled, just even bringing up these questions yeah. and, and even talking about them. It, One it thing is. I will say is this. I had this um, I, I had this conversation, actually, believe it or not, a good almost 10, 15 years ago before everything that's going on around has been going on was going on because it's always been easier for transgender people to get prescriptions for hormones than it's been for bodybuilders. And, uh, and I remember having this conversation with somebody respectable, a gay gentleman, and he his answer was, well, well, Rick, they fought for those rights, you know, and I right. think um, I think it kind of boils down to to us bodybuilders. We kind of hide our use. We're, we're, we're kind of shy about it. We we're embarrassed by it. Um, but I think it wouldn't take much for us to to turn this whole thing around and be able to be prescribed that we just got to come out of the woodwork. Stop fucking hiding. Yeah. It, and come out and say, this is what we want. Uh, pot users are going to have are now having their day. So, so it's no longer illegal to, to, to possess pot, but it's right. illegal to possess Diana. But I mean, that's crazy. Now, anybody, anybody who's, um, you know, who's transgender feels they're born in the, in the wrong body. They're able to get hormones. Obviously, well, they, they fought for those rights. Um, um hard, uh, but yeah. we hide. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, besides me doing a podcast, having conversations with a uh, gentleman like you and just, just getting the information out there. I don't, I mean, what else could, could we do? Cause I mean, it really is that simple, dude. I think, I think it's just a, it's not even, it doesn't have to be a big movement. We just got to come out right. and say, look, we want to, we want to just enhance. We want to have rights to enhance, but we, we hide it from our own families. I, th I think, I think steroid use probably more in the closet than, than a lot of gay folks out well, there. I yeah. Mean, on social, there's a lot of, a lot of fake naturals on social. There's a lot of, a lot of guys that won't admit to their own, to their own use. Yeah. I see a lot of fucking yeah. jack dudes in suits <clears throat> and you know, not everybody talks about their cycle and what they're doing. So right. uh, I, th I think that's got a lot to do with yeah, you know, it's funny, certainly the the pro marijuana lobby, you know, and it may be just that there's probably maybe more people who smoke pot than, you know, are are doing gear. And so it, it, it was it picked up more steam. Um, there's also sort good. of an anti, you know, there is and, and we cover this in that article, there is sort of an anti testosterone um, kind of aspect to modern society, right? I mean, you, the words like testosterone poisoning um, are, are acceptable and like hyper-masculinity and, and masculinity in general is, is not looked at the way it was 40 years ago, you know, uh, when, when icons were John Wayne and, and, you know, be tough and, you know, be hard you know, that those sorts of ideas have evolved and gone away. And we live in a society now that is that is much more empathetic and more um, interested in emotions and feelings um, and has sort of, you know, I, I wrote a piece, co-wrote a piece with a friend of mine a number of years ago called Estrogen Nation. And so, you know, the, the I think the the movement, the the zeitgeist, as they say, of, of modern uh, America and maybe even in other countries too, is sort of a softening 
of the, you know, what is acceptable and, and what is looked at as favorable uh, conduct, behavior and such. And so the testosterone and, and steroids are on the on the bad, the, the wrong side of, of that of cultural evolution. For sure, for sure, for sure. Even as a marketer uh, trying to get ads ran on Facebook, it's easy to get your ad ran for anything we related, pot related, dispensaries, training programs to participate in the industry, CBD supplements, all that. Now you try to have an advertising approved with abs in it or some dude, uh, you know, flexing or things like that, or, or even bottles of supplements. It's anything to do with fitness, musculature, becoming bigger, uh, 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 portraying the ideal body. I think it's, it used to be a cause for an ad rejection on Facebook, even just social media. And they control so much of the flow of information. They're all against it. I mean, they're for pot big time, but they're all against, right. against anything to do with, with, with fat burning, well, with muscle yeah. gaining. Yeah. Well, look at the whole you know, success of a franchise gym like Planet Fitness, right? I mean, the whole success of that franchise is based on an anti-bodybuilding campaign. You know, their whole campaign is that, you know, bodybuilders are uneducated, stupid, um, terrible people. And, you know, the most famous ad is the guy who walks around in the Planet Fitness saying, I, I pick things up, I put them down. And the Planet Fitness trainer walks him around the gym and says, I have a spot for you, opens the door and, of course, puts him back into the alley behind the place and, and slams the door on him. And the idea that you can't deadlift you, you, in, in a Planet Fitness, you can't spot somebody or make a lot of noise in, in training or have a, a, a gallon water jug with you is, you know, when they pride themselves on a, the idea of no judgment or being a judgment free zone, apparently it's no judgment against people who are completely out of shape or obese, but complete judgment against anybody who is in great shape. Um, and that's kind of, that's worked for them, right? Yeah, man, the, 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 this world is kind of losing me. The models are now overweight. Uh, there's nothing to aspire to. <laughs> the models are <laughs> overweight. Uh, the, the new Batman, this kid who's going to play Batman, he, he refused to work out for the role. A um, matter of right. fact, he went all about the press about it. He says, I'm not, I don't want to set a bad president and keep asking me to get yeah, in shape. That's, like that's like I'm an Avenger. I'm not wrong. that. Yeah, man. It's, it's a definitely a different world, man. You let somebody borrow the car now, they don't bring it back with a full tank. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, you know, look, there's there's a happy medium, right? I mean, nobody should ever be shamed about their body, you know, and and, you know, I think in some ways uh, where where we're, we've gone is is good for some people. I mean, certainly if you're, you know, um, if you have uh, some medical problem or if you're just overweight and you know, people should not be made to feel bad about about themselves but on the other hand you know we should also inspire people to improve i mean all of us can there's not one of us who can improve in some way and if the message is simply accept yourself exactly as you are and don't try to improve in any way physically or in other ways um we're sort of like celebrating mediocrity and I'm not sure that's really where we want to go. The other thing I just wanted to say, just because you were bringing it up about weed I, before I forget it, is that 
you may have been following, and this is another big development, you may have been following what's going on in Oregon. So in Oregon, they actually, very progressive state, they actually changed their law and they have decriminalized the possession of all drugs, all drugs in Oregon in small amounts. Uh, so that if you're in possession of a small amount of heroin or you're in possession of weed or, you know, whatever it is, um, it's no longer a crime in the state of Oregon. And that was done, I think, in, you know, looking at maybe social equity and social justice issues. Yep. And yep. But I mean, the, the funny thing about it is because they made all controlled substances decriminalized, guess what got swept up into the decriminalization? Anabolic steroids, right? Juice. So, juice. <laughs> now, I'm sure that wasn't in their minds when they did it. And maybe had they thought about it, they might have tried to carve them out because it, you know, I think it, it sort of contrary to, to the way their worldview might be. But um, but yeah, so bodybuilders in the Oregon. The federal uh, laws still, still apply to the federal laws still fall over all these little. Uh, the federal laws. law still applies in every state. Right. And so and that's why even in states, for example, where they've uh, legalized marijuana, um, that doesn't mean that it, it's legal for under the federal law. The federal law still makes it Marijuana is still a Schedule One drug. You know, even cocaine is Schedule Two. Steroids are Schedule Three. Marijuana is Schedule One, which means there is zero, no accepted medical use for marijuana. Um, even though I think it, anybody with you know who can do a simple Google search would see that you know there is support for the idea that marijuana can have medical uses under the right circumstances for people. So, um, so yes, federal law still applies, although fed, the feds and the DEA typically never go after personal users. It just wouldn't be worth their while to go after some guy with a vial of Trembolone in his kitchen. So, um, so in Oregon, you know, when state law changes, um, at least for personal use, small amount matters, it, it really has a, a pretty dispositive effect on, you know, personal use situations. Is a, is a, a pill of Dianable still considered like a pill of ecstasy under the law, under the, the sentencing guidelines that changed in the 2000s? Or is that been, been real back? Because somebody listening to this might think in Oregon, they could walk around with, a, with their bottle of Debo in their pocket and no that's 100 tablet 100 caps capsules yeah tablets, whatever you're yeah you're, you're so, going to jail, so, bro. Like you have 100 ecstasies right so state law defines and, and different states can define different amounts some states will will make personal use um uh, and misdemeanor situations based on circumstances of the possession others have a set number of pills or units that they use um, but under federal law, you're right. Um, in 2006, the guidelines were changed. And up until then, um, it's interesting because prior to the change in the guidelines in 2006, you had 50 tablets was one unit of steroids and 10 cc's was one unit. So basically, if you had a 10 milliliter 
vial of stipionate, that was one unit. If you had 10 vials, that was 10 units. If you had, you know, 100 D-balls, that was two units. So in order to get up into jail, you know, prison exposure, you needed a damn boatload of steroids, right? So, uh, and that was true in the earlier part of, you know, this century. Uh, I was actually part of the working group uh, that was brought to I remember reading that article. Yep. Yeah. So, so I was, I was, I tested to help figure out how much, how much are guys really using? Yeah. I remember I was you had clients get into situations that, that were doing yeah. heavy cycles and right. they would get pegged with these crazy, uh, crazy uh, charges of distributing. We're not, this is like what this dude does in a month. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and it's because I remember that's reading so that different. article. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and even the patterns of use are so different from what the DEA and the government is used to. Right. I mean, if if you're a crackhead, what is your what has what's your every day they, they buy they buy a little bit every it's, day. That's right, you go out, you get high, you you get you come off it, you you go back out, you get some more crack, you come back, you smoke it, and then you go out and you look for more crack. So you're never in possession. The only people in possession of huge amounts of of crack or even moderately large amounts are people who are selling it. But obviously, you and I both know that steroid users are pack rats, right? I mean, you're going to acquire everything you need for your contest prep for your for your full cycle. And so you're going to have a whole bunch of different drugs and you're going to have enough of them. And so a a guy who's just, a you know, mid-level NPC competitor might have what the feds would would look at as, you know, the Pablo Escobar of steroids. So. So, yeah, so I did testify about that. Right. And um, but the law, the guidelines changed. And so now one tablet is one unit. So it matches Vicodin and other schedule three drugs. So one tab of D-ball or Anavar or Anadrol doesn't matter whether it's a five milligram tablet or a 50 milligram pill. Um, It's one unit and half of a cc is one unit. So now that vial, that 10 cc vial of of DACA is now, instead of it being one unit, it's now 20 units. And so the more you have, the more yeah, the units add it up. Ch- everything up. Right, that's right. All right, guys. So that was part one of the Rick Collins interview. Stay tuned next week for part two of the interview where we get into the TRT clinics and we talk a bit more about Rick Collins and his career and how he's helped people out in the industry. So it's a very, very interesting part of the interview uh, where we talk about some of the actual uh, ways and devices he uses to really help his clients when they get into some hot water. So stay tuned next week, episode number 23 of the Elite Fitness Podcast, uh, part two of the Rick Collins interview. See you next week.